Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is going to be a fun day. You know, I've said this before. I spend more time during this show, literally out of the studio, and now out of the station. What's going on? What is this? I literally was on another floor. I've been in four other radio stations of this company within the past 15 minutes. What is going on? Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Salter. We're going to have a good program today. Both hours of our show are action-packed. The guest who's joining us now are one of our program. We've always had good discussions with, and what I'll say, too, is um, some of the things that he's going to be talking about with us are things that probably are going to prompt some ideas, some input from some of the folks listening to us. You can join us at any point. Our phone number here at The Fan always is 877-337-6666. We'll try to work in your thoughts Uh, comments for Dr. Kenneth Wasserman. He has joined us before on our program. He practices in South Philadelphia. He was Dermatologist of the Year in the state of Pennsylvania in 2012. He's a clinical assistant professor at Drexel uh, Drexel University Hospital. Um, He's team dermatologist with the Baltimore Orioles, a position he's held since 2005. And I'm very pleased to say he's joining us by phone on our program. Good morning. It's nice to talk with you again. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Good. Absolutely. Four stations already. It's so early in the morning. <laughs> well, I've been I here. can barely I can barely get up and do one station. I've been here for hours, literally. Literally for hours. I don't know how you do it every Sunday, Bob. I push myself. That's the important <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, now, folks who have never heard us talk before, let's do a little bit of your background. I mentioned the fact that you've been in this role of uh, team dermatologist with the Baltimore Orioles since 2005. Let's talk first about that. What's that experience been like? Well, they, they keep me very busy. Um, it's funny because um, people say to me, a baseball team, what do they need a dermatologist for? <laughs> Yet, um, I go down about um, once a week um, and take care of the players and the front office staff and the you know uh, the coaches and, and, and everyone associated with the, with the team closely. And I'll tell you, the day I go down, the, the orthopod will see two people, and the internist sees one person, and I've got a line of 15 people to take care of. Mm. So um, they keep you pretty busy, and um, a lot of these guys have had a lot of sun 
exposure in their lives because of the work they do. You know, if you go back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, nobody was even paying attention to the sun and they, you know, weren't using sunblock and the uh, the toll of all those years in the sun add up. You know, a lot of those guys have been playing baseball since they were, you know, three years old, you know, so they've been outdoors. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, we're at that time of the year when people are starting to spend more time outdoors. I'm looking out the studio window now. It's a gorgeous start to the morning as we are here in lower Manhattan, able to look out from literally a couple blocks away, realistically, to a site over the Hudson River. It's very picturesque in um, this part of lower Manhattan. You know, when we talk about the idea of sun exposure, we also have to talk about, I guess, common sense and the reality that overexposure to the sun can pose some dangers. That's absolutely true. And, um, you know, what's amazing to me is after, you know, I've been doing this about 35 years. After years and years of doing this, it is amazing to me that people still come in sunburned on Mondays and Tuesdays after a weekend. People still come in all burned and peeling and blistered, and they they still do it. And I guess I guess it's kind of similar to when you walk around New York City and Manhattan, you know, and you see people outside their buildings still smoking cigarettes. Mm. I mean, it's amazing after all the information and all the people they've seen, you know, getting lung cancer and all the people in their families that have been sick, people still will be standing outside their workplaces smoking cigarettes. And I guess the analogy is, no matter how much we educate the public, there's still tons and tons of people who abuse the sun the sun exposure on the weekends and come back from the shore, oh, I forgot my sunblock, oh, I stayed out too long. And they're still all blistered, and, and, and it's amazing to me that people still do that. Mm. But, um, I mean, I think we've had an impact, but certainly not enough. Well, when we're talking about the real dangers, um, what, I guess, to what levels can this go? So, obviously, people are at different risk depending on what type of skin they have. So, people who are blonde hair, blue eyes, red hair, freckles, people with lighter skin complexions, they take damage to the skin from the sun much more rapidly than people with darker complexions. So people who are of different descent, let's say Italian, dark Italian skin, which tans very easily, their risk is less than the risk of people who are very, very light. However, their risk is not zero. I mean, I've, I've actually seen melanoma skin cancer in African-American patients. And of course, when you say somebody's African-American and has dark skin, there's different levels of, of, of pigmentation even in, in, in those groups. So, you know, the darker your skin is, the more melanin you have. The more melanin you have, the more protection you have. But, but even the darkest skinned uh, African-American, still there is some risk of developing melanoma. I've seen it a few times. Um, but, you know, in the lighter complected people, you know, skin cancer is rampant. Uh, one in five Americans will develop some type of skin cancer 
in their lifetime. That's one in five. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's people you know, people you work with, people you walk by every day. One in five will develop skin cancer. And what people don't realize is skin cancer is the fifth to sixth largest fatality of any type of cancer. So when you look at lung cancer and colon cancer, and and you sort of think of those as big-time cancers, you know, colon cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, melanoma is number five on the hit list for deaths of cancer. So we're not talking about, you know, something that's insignificant. We're talking about a very significant health problem, and I don't think people realize um, how dangerous and how important it is this there's there's the same number of people that die from melanoma every year that die in car accidents around the country um, uh, probably actually a little bit more and you know car accidents that's you know i think 50 to 60,000 people every year will die in auto accidents in the united states so when we're talking about the sun and the right approach to take to it you know as we prepare for the warmer days, being outside. I mean, what sort of things should people logically keep in mind, really on a daily basis? Well, first of all, plan, plan your activities properly. So we're not telling people to be hermits and not to go outside and not to go, you know, not, you know, not, to, not to go to the pool, but plan, plan your activities properly. So planning. Planning would mean if I'm going to go to the beach, why not go at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 4, 5, 6 o'clock when it's beautiful out, the sun's getting a little low, um, less, less, less exposure to the sun at those times. Why be out there at 12 noon? Why be out there for 5, 6 hours? Why not just be out there for a couple hours late in the afternoon, early in the morning? Um, bring sun protective clothing with you. They, they make now, you know, all these companies, there's a million companies out there that make great uh, bathing suits with bathing tops that you can go in the water with that give you sun protection. Um, bring some sunscreen, um, bring a hat, bring UV protective sunglasses. Um, for children, make sure you're prepared with all the, um, all the paraphernalia. Um, even for little children, they make great sun protective. Once you wear the sun protective bathing suits, you have a lot, and, and you wear a top with it, which you can go in the water with you have much less surface to actually worry about and have to cover up with sunblock. So, you know, once you've got the hat on and the sunglasses and the bathing suit and the uh, the top, you only have small portions of the body left over that you even have to use sunscreen for. And with sunscreen, how do we judge, I guess, what's the right level amount of that to use? Yeah, well, I, I, I tell people if you're going to use it, um, get a good number. Get the higher number um, sun protective factors, you know, over over 50. And, um, you know, the sunscreen's not 100%. It doesn't block out 100% of the rays. It, you know, the higher the number, the more it blocks out. Some people get a little irritation if they go too high, but, you know, with the numbers, for, you know, from the uh, chemicals. But most people don't. So a high number. And, and don't forget to protect your, your lips. Your lips have no melanin. There's no protection in your lips. So lip cancer, especially the lower lip, which takes the brunt of the sun shining down on your lip, um, you, you need lip balm with an SPF in it, and you need to protect your lips. Many times people put sunblock on and they forget to do their lips, and then their lips burn. And um, 
You know, skin cancer occurs on the lips a lot, especially the lower lip. Now, the upper lip, you know who gets upper lip skin cancer? A lot of fishermen, because they get the reflection off the water, and it reflects back up at the upper lip. So, um, you know, so put the uh, lip balm on, on, on the upper and lower lip, and um, I tell people nice big sunglasses, UV protective, then you don't have to worry about the skin around the eyes because you've got a very good sunglasses on. Um, and uh, just be prepared when you go when you go to the beach when you go on vacation. Don't forget to to bring the stuff and to wear the right clothing and to it, again it's all preparation. And we don't want people to not have fun and not go outside. You know we think that's great. Just you know be prepared. The time, the amount of time spent in the sun. You know, you gave interesting advice about, you know, going to the beach at four o'clock in the afternoon. A whole lot of people will want to get there at the brightest point in, in the day and they literally lay out and bake. I mean, how bad is that? It's, um, it's bad. You know, I, I always have to laugh, um, on, uh, you know, for the big, for the big holiday weekends, like, uh, you know, Memorial Day and Labor Day and, um, you know, as I was saying, despite all the education out there, the news, the local news will come on, uh, uh, you know, the TV news, and they'll say, and the big story this weekend is a beautiful weekend at the shore, you know, and they show, the, you know, in the Philadelphia area, you know, as you know, I'm from, I'm, I'm in Philly, they show the, the South Jersey shore, you know, from Atlantic City down to Cape May, Wildwood, you know, all those places. The big story on the news is the beautiful weekend at the shore. And they'll they'll show thousands and thousands of people all on the beach lying shoulder to shoulder like baked potatoes roasting, you know, <laughs> one side and then they roast the other side. And that's the big story on the news. And they make it look so appealing that everybody's like, oh, I got to do this. You know, I'm sure there's people who go to the shore on the next holiday weekend just because they watched the news and the news showed all these people, you know, lying on the beach. It's funny because they, they make it look like it's a good thing. When I think of it as like, you know, wow, look at all those people roasting like baked potatoes. That's a bad thing, you know. <laughs> Dr. Kenneth Wasserman is talking with us on our program on the fan this morning. As I mentioned, he's in practice in South Philadelphia. He is team dermatologist with the Baltimore Orioles, a position he's held since 2005. And he's our guest this hour of our program. You want to join us in the discussion, you can. 877-337-6666. That's our number. We take a pause in our discussion and turn our attention at 620 to the world of sports. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in a discussion with Dr. Kenneth Wasserman on our program. Dr. Wasserman was Dermatologist of the Year in the state of Pennsylvania in 2012. He's talking with us about, um, well, about skin smart, um, some of the summer dangers. He's given us some ideas about uh, protecting ourselves when we are out and about uh, in this uh, warm weather. You know, one of the things that we have talked about in discussions here uh, as well is uh, this whole trend slash craze at times in the area, and you know where I'm going, of suntan parlors. What's the latest with those? I'll tell you all about that. I want to tell you, by the way, um, I have a poster hanging in my waiting room. It says, it's a picture of a potato with a face on it, and it says, this skin is made for baking, not yours. <laughs> potato skin. So 
when we were talking about the baked potatoes, I had to mention that because it's the greatest poster. I've had it hanging there for almost 30 years, and all the patients love it. <laughs> but um, suntan parlors. So suntan parlors remain very popular to the general public, especially to young people. Young people want to be tanned for their prom, and they want to look good in their, especially a lot of the women want to look good in their white their white dresses and gowns when it comes to May and June to go to the prom. And they use suntan parlors, which have propped up all over the country. And the problem with suntan parlors is you get, you get a certain amount of sun in your life normally. Uh, we're going to do a little math. Let's say that's X amount of sun. Okay. We get that. Every, we get that. All of us get certain amount of sun just by living and walking around and doing our activities. When you go to a suntan parlor, now you're getting more sun than you would have gotten just from your normal day's activities. So now you got X plus another X. Now you got two X. And if you do it a lot, you might have three X. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you're getting tremendous amounts of sun exposure, more than you would get in the normal um, normal life. And your your skin is taking the brunt, and it, it, it gets sun damaged quicker, more easily, and that leads to more skin cancer. The other thing I, I tell people is your skin is like the tires on your car. When you, you know, I go, I drive a lot from Philadelphia to New York back and forth because my, my mom still lives in New York. I grew up in New York. I, every time you drive, you, you wear down the treads of your tires a little bit. Now, one trip to New York does not ruin your tires. But if you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, tons of times, slowly the treads on your tire wear out. And that's your skin. So the more trips you take to New York, the more the tires wear out. The more times you go out in the sun, the more your skin wears out. And it's the same principle. So these suntan parlors accelerate your damage, accelerate your risk of skin cancer, and they're not safe. And um, the American Academy of Dermatology had some some, uh, journal articles where they actually showed a blip of skin cancer melanoma in women between approximately 25 and 35 years of age. And they went back and they attributed the increased risk and the increased incidence to women who used suntan parlors. And the reason I say women is because women use them more than men do, uh, just from the cosmetic standpoint of of wanting to get tan. So they found actually a, a blip, an increased amount of melanoma in a group that they were able to attribute back to suntan parlor usage. So it is dangerous. And all around the country, dermatology organizations have tried to get legislation passed to limit suntan parlor use. And I will say in Pennsylvania, um, after years and years of the Pennsylvania Academy of Dermatology uh, fighting for it, they were able to get a bill passed um, where it's not legal now for anyone under the age of 17 to go to a suntan parlor, even with parental um, permission. You cannot go if you're under 17. And then, of course, to get this bill passed, they had to agree, the dermatology uh, world had to agree to the prom rule. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. The prom rule says that if you're 17 to 18 and your mom or dad write a note that it's okay, you can get suntan parlor exposure from 17 to 18. So those, those kids can get you know dangerous amounts of sun because of the prom rule. But it's very hard to get legislation passed to restrict you know, because the business community backs up, you know, all types of businesses, and it's very hard to get legislation passed. 
But dermatologists all over the country in different states are working on different restriction bills. Speaking of the work of dermatologists, you've talked with us before about the idea of a yearly skin exam by a board-certified dermatologist, as well as for the individual that they do self-exams. Why are they so important? So that's a really, really good good point, um, Bob. So early detection, when you're dealing with skin cancer, early detection is key. Um, I'm going to use an analogy. Um, uh, pancreatic cancer, one of the reasons pancreatic cancer is so dangerous and, you know, the fatality rates are, are, are incredibly high, is because pancreas, the pancreas is located in the middle of our body. By the time you're having pain and symptoms from pancreatic cancer, 97% of the time, something like that, it's, it's too late. Skin cancer, which is on the surface of the skin, is mostly detectable in its early stages by simple exams of just looking your skin over head to toe by a, dermat- a board-certified dermatologist. So if you pick up skin cancer in its early stages, it can be close to 100% curable. So the whole, the whole deal is to, is to pick up uh, skin cancer early. And the only way is by having exams. And we recommend that you know, patients see a board-certified dermatologist. You know, they're the ones that are the most trained to look for skin cancer. And once a year, to have them look you over head to toe, and then you perform self-exams, you know, just like the doctor tells women to do breast exams at home on their own, you know, to check for lumps. Once a month, you, you spend two minutes in front of the mirror after showering, and you just look yourself over and become familiar with your spots and your moles. And if you see anything change, you see anything change color, size, or shape, or become irritated in any way, or anything that looks funny or doesn't look right, you go get it checked promptly. People who do that minimize their their risk of having a, a fatal uh, outcome. Um, one of the girls in my office, no, uh, her daughter graduated from college a couple of years ago, and she knows of a 24-year-old uh, college um, uh, a, a friend who actually died of melanoma last year at age 24. They showed me the uh, obituary on Facebook. It's, it's an absolute tragedy. Why this person, you know, didn't know that they had something growing or changing, we, we don't know the story. But, uh, you know, that should almost not happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly somebody, you know, you know, the person ignored something beyond the fact that they should have, you know. Well, that brings up an interesting point, and I'm glad that you said that. And we're talking, by the way, with Dr. Kenneth Wasserman on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. You want to join us in the discussion, 877-337-6666. That's our number. We'll try to get some thoughts, um, comments from some of the folks listening to us. This idea of um, perhaps somebody... Um, detecting something, but thinking, eh, you know, maybe this is not such a big deal, and they uh, they put it off. Okay, typically this will be said that um, men do this with uh, medical situations, but let's say whoever, what, whichever gender, they do that. Um, in the case of something with your skin, that's a really bad move to take, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you know. It's so easy to see. It's so easy for you to see something yourself on your skin because it's right there. You know that's why I use the analogy of 
pancreatic cancer. Like, like you know, how would you know that something's going on in your pancreas? You know, mm-hmm. the pancreas is like in the middle of the body somewhere. You know, it's, it's not, you know, patients wouldn't know. By the time they're getting back pain or pain from their pancreas, it's, it's usually too late. But the skin is so easy. You know, you, I mean, from, a, from an exam standpoint, it's right there. And, um, you know, some people, it, it's funny. Some of the times, especially with the older patients, they come in and I say, so is anything, you know, for, I, my first question is, you know, is any, have you noticed anything changing? And many times the patient says to me, especially the old-fashioned patients, they say, I don't know, you're the doctor. <laughs> you know, I, I hate when I hear that because it's like, Patients need to participate in their health care. It's like you don't know somebody's having ankle pain until they tell you they're having ankle pain. You know, so I, I'd like the patient to tell me, oh, everything looks good, doc, but I noticed this one spot on my arm that I think has changed. I want to hear that because to me that's a symptom. It's a sign. It's, you know, you know but, you know, I don't know. You're the doctor. <laughs> it's, it's, it's non-participatory. The, the best patient of any kind participates in their healthcare with the physicians and it's an interchange and it's a, uh, you know, talking back and forth. And, you know, you know, I, I, I talk a lot to my patients and I think my patients like that, but, um, every now and then you get a patient who just doesn't want to talk. <laughs> so, um, it is important to be aware of your own body and your own health. You know, recently I saw a 75 year old man who has colon cancer and uh, I said, oh, I said, uh, you know, weren't you getting colonoscopies? He said he never had a colonoscopy in his life before. He's 75 years old. How could you be 75 years old and never have had a colonoscopy? Mm. It's like, I mean, you must have a death wish if you're doing that. Because, you know, colon cancer is easily detectable early stages again if you have your regular uh, colonoscopies. So um, everybody handles health care differently. Um, and... You know, the population is very diverse in, in the, some patients say things like, oh, if I have, you know, I'd rather not know, you know, you know, if I don't know about it, that's good. You know, that kind of attitude, that's a really bad attitude with healthcare as a whole. And, you know, I, I recognize that not everyone has health insurance to the same extent and that some people, you know, you know, they have to pay out of pocket a certain amount, so it makes them utilize health care less. But by and large, most most people have health coverage, and many of them don't use it when they should be using it. Mm. Something I wanted to ask you as a follow-up to um, when you were talking earlier about uh, skin cancers. Yes. Is there any sort of indication of um, a genetic predisposition? To, to developing skin cancer? So absolutely. So, you know, when we take a history on a new patient, one of the, one of the questions we, we uh, focus on is any skin cancer in your family. If your father had skin cancer, your brother had skin cancer, your cousin had skin cancer, you had much, you're at much higher risk for skin cancer. So the factors that are important, your complexion, how much sun you've had, family history of skin cancer, what your occupation is, because if you're a roofer, you're going to have a higher risk of skin cancer than if you're a computer guy who's working in the basement of a, of a building in New York and never gets outside. So that's why, we, by the way, we've started focusing on the skin cancer program over many, many years with Major League Baseball because they were outside a lot. 
and um, we also wanted the public to see that, you know, if the public sees famous people are getting screened for skin cancer, they're they're more likely to get checked. So yes, um, um, genetics is is one of the factors we look at when we look at all the factors for what your risk is. So you know, certain people we might say let's do your skin exam every two years um, because their risks are so low. No family history. They never go out in the sun. Their skin is not sun damaged. Um, they've never had anything themselves before. Um, they don't go to the beach a lot. You know, uh, they're darker complected. Uh, as I mentioned, no family history. You put that all together, that might be somebody you say, all right, your skin looks pretty good. We'll see you in two years. But, you know, some, some, and some people who have a lot of moles, that's another thing. If you have a lot of moles on, during the exam, if you have a lot of moles on your skin, some people have almost no moles. I have almost no moles on my whole body. Then other people come in and they've got two, three hundred moles. The higher, the higher the risk is correlated with a higher number of moles. So if some people come in and they have a tremendous number of moles, we might actually see them every six months for their exams. Mm. So we we determine um, how often we examine people by what their what their risk factors and what their history is. So everybody's a little different. You know, the car that drives the car that you drive only five thousand miles a year is probably not going to need as much maintenance as a car that you drive 50,000 miles a year. Mm-hmm. That's another good analogy. It is a very good analogy. Um, Dr. Kenneth Wasserman is our guest in this portion of our program on the fan. As I mentioned earlier, he practices in South Philadelphia. He has joined us this hour of our program. He is a clinical assistant professor at Drexel University Hospital. Uh, he's team dermatologist with the Baltimore Orioles, a position he has held since 2005 and he um, was named Dermatologist of the Year in the state of Pennsylvania in 2012. He's going to talk with us uh, more as we uh, continue. We're going to take a pause in just a moment here. And I wanted to mention again that uh, what we'll try to do in the next segment is to see if we can work in some thoughts from some of the people listening to us as well. Um, there's other things I want to follow up on with you. Uh, our uh, discussion, 877-337-6666 is our number at the fan. One thing I wanted to just ask you before we paused here, is there um, a, a website for, um, you know, that you could refer people to as a good source of information? Yeah, so so actually, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the web, but the American Academy of Dermatology mm-hmm. has a website, www. AAD, that's AAD is the American Academy of Dermatology, AAD.org. And there's a lot of information on there about dermatology, about, um, you know, um, sun protection, about, you know, moles, about all all kinds of really, really cool stuff on there, actually. www.aad.org. Dot org. Okay, we will repeat that before we are done in our discussion. More with Dr. Wasserman in moments. Bob Salter, Sports Radio 1019 FM, the fan, and Sports Radio 66, WFAN. I wondered what had happened to those singers. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion with uh, Dr. Kenneth Wasserman on our program on the fan. He is a dermatologist in practice in South Philadelphia. He's team dermatologist with the Baltimore Orioles, and he's our guest on this hour of our program. I said what we'll do is try to work in thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. 877-337-6666 is our number here at the fan. Let's go first to, let's see. Bob? Uh, Bob? Yes. 
Can I mention something real quick about, you know, exams and coverage and all that? Um, what I want to tell people is that, you know, in certain countries, you have to wait 6 to 12 months to get an appointment with a dermatologist. And we're very lucky in the United States because we get in fairly quickly for all of our health care. And um, country has to be very careful about when they're thinking about health plans for the future. You have one minute to talk about that? Just one minute? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Let's come back. To, hold okay. that thought. Come back to that. Let's sure. See if we, we can do a call here Because this relates to our skin exams. Okay. Know, so. yep. All right. Actually, this may tie in well with this. Great. Caller's point, I think. I'm, I'm kind of guessing here. Okay. Uh, Steve in uh, Forest Hills has been waiting for a while. Steve, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, Dr. Wasserman. I, I have a question. I have a new dermatologist, and the few times I do have a basal cell, how come he always uses Mohs where my other ones didn't? Because, you know, it's a scarring uh, procedure. Well, you know, Mohs surgery, surgery is a way, it's just a method of, of treating skin cancer, and it's actually a very, very good way to treat it. Um, because what, the way they do Mohs is they, it's called microscopically controlled. They just take as much skin as you need and no more. So certain skin cancers, depending on the size and the depth and where they're located, do better with Mohs surgery than not. So the dermatologist is making that um, assessment on the basis of where the skin cancer is, how big it is, how deep it is. Um, and, you know, we use Mohs surgery a lot. And in most surgeries, a tissue sparing technique, because if you just treat the skin cancer without doing the microscopically part, sometimes you have to take much more skin than you need. The microscopically part tells you how far you have to go. Does that make any sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much, and you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, be well. You too. Bye. And you know, and you know, Bob, most mm -hmm. surgery is most surgery is a more um, extensive way of treating skin cancer. You know, not every. Um, not every dermatologist is trained for Mohs surgery. So Mohs surgery is a, an advanced way of treating, you know, fairly large skin cancers. What exactly is involved in it? Well, they, they do it microscopically. So they take a piece and then they have you wait for an hour and they examine it under the microscope while you wait. And then if they can tell if there's a tiny bit left on one side, they go back on that side and get a little bit more. The other ways, they, they take more tissue to begin with to make sure they get it all but then you might have a larger defect or a larger surgery. So, um, you know, certain areas really require Mohs, like if the skin cancer is near an eye or near a mouth or in a corner somewhere where you can't get at it well. Whereas, let's say one's on the back where there's a lot of extra skin tissue, you're not as concerned about taking a couple extra millimeters of skin on your back as you might be on your nose. So it's a tissue-sparing technique to get just the right amount but on on the back, you're not as concerned about a millimeter because you know your back is such a large area. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Now you were mentioning about um, you know healthcare, and you kind of wanted to tie. Yeah, in. just very just very briefly. So um, you know around the world, you know I just had some patients recently from Canada and from England, and they they tell us how unbelievably lucky we are in our country where. You get a headache, and within 72 hours, you're getting an MRI. Whereas in a place like England or Canada, where there's national health care and there's only one plan, you wait months and months before you can get many of the, many of the things that you need. And, um, you know, our country has to be very careful about this, you know, this push to, to one-payer system.
because once you have a one-payer system, now you're online for stuff. It's just like the patients that have been treated by the VA system um, for the past, you know, 20, 30 years. You hear all these stories where people wait on long lines to get what they need and, and all that. So, you know, most doctors will tell you that the one-payer system has a lot of flaws. So when you hear the politicians, you know, raving about trying to get a one-payer Medicare for all, patients better be very careful about what they wish for. You know that old line, um, be careful what you wish for because you might get it. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, the, the fact that we have choices and, and competition among plans um, helps us to get the health care quickly that we, that we need. Americans are not used to waiting on lines for health care. And in certain countries, they don't do dialysis after a certain age, and health care is rationed. And, you know, some people have actually, you know, you know, have had to um, resort to uh, GoFundMe plans when, they're, when their plans don't cover things. Um, you know, I have a patient, for instance, um, who has a GoFundMe site for their grandchild because they have a rare disease, an orphan, an orphan disease, they call it, where maybe only 20 people in all of North America had this disease. It's, it's actually a very rare um, myopathy. This, this kid has actually um, um, been, been wheelchair-bound and on a respirator since they were born. And they actually have a GoFundMe site to, to, to help um, with the expenses. And um, we better be careful. Health care plans that only have one plan in the country, you might find that, you know, millions of people have to find ways to fund their health care other than going through the health plan. You know what I'm saying? Why is there, I do know what you're saying, but why is it that there seems to be so little research that is done on, you know, these orphan medical diseases? Well, I'll tell you real quick, these orphan plans. So this girl, for instance, um, I'll mention her name because she's got a uh, GoFundMe site. Her name is Nicole Albano, A-L-B-A-N-O. She has a GoFundMe site, and um, she has a disease that when she was diagnosed 19 years ago, her grandparents told me that only 15 to 20 people in all of North America had this uh, it's called a reducing body myopathy, and she's confined to a wheelchair and a respirator. But believe it or not, she graduated from high school, and she's going to college in a wheelchair with the respirator, and that's why she needs this. Um, it's, it's, people should go to the site and just take a look at it. And there's no research being done because, think about it, the drug companies, there's, there's no money for them to make coming up with, with medication or treatments because so few people have this. So these orphan diseases, which are very rare, these orphan diseases don't have a lot of interest because there's not a lot of doctors working on it. The drug companies don't want to invest because, you know, they want to invest in diabetes because there's millions and millions and millions of people with diabetes. So, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, healthcare has a lot of different aspects to it, some of which are not fair to patients who have these orphan diseases. Does that make any sense? It does. And this leads perfectly into an area that I always like to bring up in uh, discussions like this because, you know, you have been in the situation where you're working with people who are also entering this field or looking to enter the field. Yeah. Um, what kind of, I guess, level of enthusiasm are they bringing to the table these days? And is that changing? Well, you know what's wonderful, Bob? Young people have so much enthusiasm. So 
the new medical students, and I do work with medical students and residents in Philadelphia at uh, two university hospitals, Drexel and Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me, even though the practice of medicine has become harder and harder and harder, and it has, um, and I've seen it during my career, um, because we have a lot more people trying to make decisions. You know, you'd think that the doctor is the only one making the decision in the office, but you know, drug companies decide what medicines they're going to cover and what medicines they're not going to cover. Uh, the insurance companies, because some of the drugs are so expensive, the insurance companies don't want to cover them. So I might want a medicine and I can't write for it because the patient can't afford to pay, you know, $800 a month. Right. So it is much harder to practice. But, but, but you know, I work my tail off to try to do the right thing for the patients anyway. But the young people... They are so enthusiastic because they're young and they bring all this enthusiasm. And I'm amazed that actually they're not being demoralized by what they hear about how hard practicing is. And you, you hit the nail on the head there. These, these young people bring all this new energy and enthusiasm to the table. And I'm actually shocked at how excited they all are at becoming doctors still. So there is still a lot of... Um, great energy coming into the field, people who want to do a lot of great things. And, um, you know, after you've been practicing for 35 years, I guess you get a little tired of fighting with the insurance companies, but <laughs> I still do it on a daily basis, you know? Now, the day and age when you started versus today and patients and the impact of technology, all this information that there is, do patients come to you, um, well, I'm assuming they come to you knowing more, but is that always a good thing? So you, that's, you, well, you have a lot of good points, but we could have, a, we could have like 10 shows on these topics. <laughs> um, so yes, patients use the Internet much more, and sometimes the Internet is really good for the patients because they come in and they already know about basal cell skin cancer. They know about um, sun exposure. They know about the newest and latest psoriasis medicine. However, patients have to be careful about the Internet because no matter what topic you look up, if you look up uh, the health of fruit juices or you look up um, a new drug or new medicine, there's going to be a lot of incorrect um, information on the Internet. And there'll be some correct information too. The problem is the average person has a difficulty discerning what's true and what's not true. And that's why you have to use your, your physician to sort of sort through some of this. And it's good if you come in having read and educated, but you shouldn't come in opinionated where you know this is this because you read it on the Internet. Because that's, that's not a good situation to be in because some of that information is not correct. So an open-minded patient who's been educated and has read things and asked questions and is open to the fact that m much of the stuff is true and much is not true makes the best patient in a doctor's office, especially with a doctor that likes to discuss things. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left in yep. our discussion here. Um, let's go back over things people should keep in mind on days like today. Just be sun sensible. We, we don't tell people to be hermits. Bring your, bring your sun protective clothing, buy, a bathing, buy one bathing suit with a top and a bottom that's UV protective, nice UV protective sunglasses, mm 
a bottle of sunblock, a nice wide-brimmed hat, um, and think about where you're going and how long you're going to be there and bring an umbrella. And um, I love swimming pools, especially when they have awnings and they have shaded areas. I love hanging out at the pool. I try to find a pool or go to a place where there's like shade there already. So I can go swimming and then back in the shade and then swimming and then back in the shade and not be in an area where it's barren and where I'm going to get roasted. And um, if you're if you're sensible and um, you pay attention a little bit, you'll be much safer when you go outdoors. Very um, good, very good advice from our guest, Dr. Kenneth Wasserman, um, in practice in South Philadelphia. He's a clinical assistant professor at Drexel University Hospital in Philly, team dermatologist with the Baltimore Orioles, our guest on our program this morning. The website mentioned earlier for the American Academy of Dermatology, aad.org. Thank you very much for joining us, and certainly we wish you the best as the weather gets warmer. Bob, you're the best. I do a lot of different types of shows, and you're the most enjoyable person I do one with. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. We will continue on our program this Sunday morning. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.